Ion 2020, episode 119. Have 2020 vision with Ion 2020, the podcast that brings you all the news and events in the lead up to the next presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date as we approach November 2020 with a libertarian perspective of all the candidates and their policies, along with the news. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's clear our vision. What's up, everybody? Ray Eaton here, your host. The guy that brings you the news, the related events, the things that are going on for the 2020 election. I also try to inspire you to action. But uh, every day, you know, that's what I'm trying to do. Monday through Friday for you. This is I on 2020. And this is your source for all of that information. Um, Things are getting heated up in the 2020 primary with the Democratic primary going in full swing now. It's uh, the middle of... 2019 and on the 27th of June you're going to have the first of the uh, of the debates the next day there'll be another round of debates as well and there's going to be 10 people on each night on Wednesday night and Thursday night 10 people on each night and the Democrats the Democratic National Committee has officially announced who those people are going to be they randomly selected these people and uh, that's one of the things I was going to talk to you guys today about as well as a few other items as well um But first of all, I'd like to thank you guys for coming out and listening. I appreciate my listeners every single day. It seems like more and more people are getting to listen to this show. And the reason why is because of you. You're out there sharing it. You're out there telling your friends about it. You are, you know, just getting involved in the show, I guess. I don't know, because more and more people are listening. So that's great. Uh, But I appreciate you sharing the show. Go ahead and give me a five-star rating and review if you haven't done it already. And uh, go ahead and subscribe if you're a first-time listener. So I appreciate you listening. And uh, if you want to hear tomorrow's show, you can go ahead and come back tomorrow and listen. But another thing you can do is I have over 100 episodes previous to this one. I don't recommend listening to the first 10 because I was still trying to figure things out back then. I'm actually a new podcaster. I've never done this before. I'm just a sales guy by trade. Uh, That's what I do every day for my normal gig. And then... When I get home in the evening time, I'll do a lot of research and stuff like that. And when all the kids and the wife go to bed, I'll report record a podcast that's released at 5 a.m. the next day. So uh, there's a six-hour or so time lapse between the time I record and the time that uh, that I release the show. But I think everything seems to be relatively relevant, pretty relevant, whenever on the time basis of it. So, uh, but I appreciate listening. It's hard to do a show live obviously when you when you're doing a news show you want it to be kind of live sometimes right that's a good idea but i try to be as close to the news as possible just so that you guys can have that information because that's what you're trying to do you're trying to get yourself knowledge about these candidates some people are getting the knowledge for different reasons some people do not vote that listen to my show i know that for a fact uh, and that's good but at least you'll have the information on these candidates when you get out there and talk to your friends about it when you're sitting around the dinner table at Thanksgiving and your socialist brother's telling you all about how great Bernie Sanders is, and you could listen to yesterday's show and come up with a very good, good information about why Bernie Sanders, yes, he does have the message right. He does have 
the symptoms of the problem. Absolutely correct. But his solutions to them are not the right thing. And you can tell your brother about that during the Thanksgiving dinner. You'll have all that information that you need if you don't vote. If you do vote, at least you'll have a general idea of what's going on to have a good information about who to vote for, right? Uh, but hopefully I'm inspiring you towards a libertarian leaning. And that's my goal every day is to give you guys a libertarian message, a little bit of information, and then the libertarian message is going to help you to get out there and inspire others to uh, embrace the non-aggression principle, embrace those libertarian principles that we fight for every single day. So, uh, but yeah, the so let's get into this whole scenario here with the debates that are coming up. So the Democratic National Committee, what they were trying to do is not have a debacle like what happened in 2016 when Donald Trump was running. As you guys know, in 2015, 2016, during the election process that was going on with the Republicans, so the Democrats, they had two people, basically. They had they had Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders running against each other. There was two others that threw their name into the hat. I think they were on one or two of the debate stages. But after that, it was literally, you had your choice between Hillary or Bernie. Because Hillary was already christened to be the candidate. And Bernie was just an opposition voice at the time that happened to get lots and lots of publicity. And that message that he had resonated with the young people and so forth. We know that. 2015 is when the Republicans start announcing, and then they have the the debates that they had, and I think there was like 17 or 18, maybe even 20 people that were running for the Republican nomination, and they had all their front runners on the stage the the night, the first night, and then the second night, they had a kind of like a a debate for all the people that were like the underclass, right? people that had one percent of the vote and there was like five or six people on that stage it was actually easier to listen to that debate than it was to listen to the other debate because the other debate had i think there was like 14 people on the stage so it was was this huge lineup of people and every one of them got maybe like a minute of talking each if, if that right um maybe two minutes or three minutes or if they stole some of the show they might have got a little bit more, but it was really hard for somebody to make a name for themselves, except for like a Donald Trump who just like said, oh, look at Rand Paul over there. He shouldn't even be on this stage. Look at him, right? And just like talking bad about him. And then he would make a crack about this person and he'd talk about um, Jeb Bush and he'd talk about, you know, like he was able to get his little licks and it made the crowd get excited about him and so forth. So, but it was hard to watch those debates, very hard to watch those debates. So what the Democrats were trying to do is they were trying to make it so it was a little bit even, a little bit more fair for the underclass as well as for the front runners. So they randomly selected each of the 10 people. Supposedly they randomly selected. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not sure exactly how they did it, but it's not like they, you know, had a third party get out there and randomly select them. So anyway, they ended up putting, let's see, Cory Booker, Julian Castro, Bill de Blasio, John Delaney, Tulsi Gabbard, Jay Inslee, Amy Klobuchar, Beto O'Rourke, Tim Ryan, and Elizabeth Warren on the stage the first night. Elizabeth Warren on that night is clearly the front runner. Everyone else on that stage, Beto O'Rourke, and Beto O'Rourke is pretty much the only one that has a huge amount of name recognition. 
Julian Castro, I mean, I've heard him a lot as well. John Delaney has a ton of money. So, and then Tulsi Gabbard's the one that I kind of, I like her on her anti-war stance, and that's about it. Um, socially, I, I can't stand her. But there was, uh, but anyway, and then Cory Booker is kind of a name that people know. But Elizabeth Warren kind of gets a standout in that crowd on that first night. Thursday night, that's the next night. That's when you have the large, the, like the, the heavier hitters, I guess you'd say. And that's going to be Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders as well as Pete Buttigieg. So those three right now, those are the ones that are kind of like the front runners um, in the Democratic nomination as well as Elizabeth Warren. So there's four people that are kind of like the front runners right now and everyone else is kind of like the underclass. So on Thursday night, you're going to have Michael Bennett, Joe Biden, Pete Buttigieg, Kirsten Gillibrand, Kamala Harris, Andrew Yang, Marianne Williamson, Eric Swalwell, Bernie Sanders, and John Hickenlooper. Any one of those people can get up there, and what, they, what they're saying about this particular group is that it's going to be everyone beating up on Joe Biden, because he's like the front runner, obviously. Uh, it's going to give Pete Buttigieg a place to stand out, as well as Bernie Sanders to kind of like, you know. But Bernie Sanders, I don't know. I mean, he, I think he's at a ceiling. That's my feeling on him. Andrew Yang might stand out as well. He's somebody that, you know, has a few different ideas than everyone else. But everyone else on that stage, all 20 of them pretty much, they seem like they are all just, they're just, they're all spouting the same talk. They're all just saying the same exact things, universal health care, blah, blah, blah. You know, like it, it's, it, all of them are the same person, it sounds like to me. Um, Elizabeth Warren, Warren, she tries to talk like she has a plan and all that, but I just, I don't know. I mean, I want to move on from the subject pretty quick. I just think that um, it'll be interesting to watch. I'm going to watch them for you guys. You don't have to watch them if you don't want to. I'm pretty sure none of you guys are going to really watch it anyway. It's, it's really painful to watch these debates, I'm sure. And my biggest issue is I cannot stand watching politicians talk, and I cannot stand watching politicians promise things. Like, it, it drives me nuts. Because they think that they have these great solutions and these great plans to spend your money and buy more stuff for other people. That's all they seem like they do. And it just, I watching that debate, it's just going to be like, who is going to one-up the next person on more free stuff? Without anyone thinking critically about how to pay for that free, that free stuff. Without anyone thinking critically about, if, is that the best way to provide the free stuff to the people? Is it the best way to, to do it? Using government to do it? Is it the best... Is it morally acceptable for the federal government to be have its hand in those things in the first place? Because it'll lead to... More of the... Uh, more of the same, which is... Lobbyists in Washington trying to get their hands on a piece of that pie. More corruption. Things like that. I don't know. I mean, nobody's going to think critically about this stuff on that stage because there's not an outlier. There's not the person that has a libertarian bent. The only outlier in some way, and hopefully that's the case, is going to be Tulsi Gabbard, who might, and she says she will, and I hopefully she does, make the anti-war issue the number one part of her campaign. But this gets to my next point. So, um, yesterday I was going through a poll 
and I'm going to go ahead and get that, get that information pulled up for you really fast. But I was going through a poll to see what's some important issues for voters, right? And I'm looking at this poll and I'm like, what is the main, main issues that these people are concerned about? So I start looking through the poll and I mean, anti-war was one of the lowest issues on like U.S. foreign policy. So this is what they say about U.S. foreign policy. 7% of people want to hear about foreign policy. 7%. 2% want to hear about terrorism. So that, that was the, they asked in this particular poll. Which of these is the issue you most want to hear candidates talk about right now? And this was Democrats in early primary caucus states. That's where they did the polls. So U.S. foreign policy and terrorism, those are two things that kind of go hand in hand when you talk about U.S. foreign policy, right? You would talk about U.S. foreign policy when it comes to war, talk about terrorism when it comes to war, and then also on the issues of like dealing with tariffs, dealing with other foreign countries, especially like the bad actors like North Korea and Iran and places like that, right? The ones that are not part of the international community. And you're looking at U.S. foreign policy, 7% care about that. And 2%, so 9% of people, 10% of people total right around that, that are Democrats, care about those issues. And then their number one issue, 41% say that health care is their number one issue. And then jobs in the economy, and then gun policy. So it goes like this, 41% health care, 19% jobs in the economy, 12% gun policy, 8% immigration, 7% U.S. foreign policy, 7% abortion, and the so forth down, right? And then when you get into the age groups, this is how it gets to, ready? 18 to 29 year olds, their number one issue is health care. And one of the questions that they ask in this poll is, do you want the government to lower, or do you want a candidate to lower your health care bills, essentially is what they're saying. And I'm looking, I'm listening to that, and the way that they frame it is the assumption is that by the government doing something, it's going to lower your health care bill. And I think that that is just overstating the, uh, overstating that just because the federal government gets involved in something, it's going to lower the health care. I guess if they said health care is free, then it'll lower your health care bill. But if they made health care free, you're going to have le- limited access to health care because it's going to have to be, you know, limited. People, there, there's not enough. When you have free anything, you have unlimited demand. And in health care, then you're going to have unlimited demand for health care. So anytime you have a little sniffle, anytime you have a cold, you're more likely to go to the doctor for something like that because you assume that it's free and it's paid for and so forth. So you're going to have an issue with meeting the supply or meeting the demand for healthcare if you had that issue. So just by the government getting involved in it doesn't mean that you're, it's going to be cheaper. It means that you're going to have rationing, so you're going to have a harder time getting to it, getting to the healthcare that you need. So yeah, while it's free, then you're going to have another issue that pops up as well. That's called unintended consequences. So anyway, getting back to the poll, 
when you look at the age groups, everybody's top issue in the, in the, that are Democrats, their top issue is health care. I wonder why that's the case. I, I mean, with, with the people that are over 65, 55% of them say health care is their number one priority. Foreign policy is not a winning issue. So Tulsi Gabbard being on that stage, I don't know that it's going to benefit her. Now, it is benefiting her in the age group of like the Generation Xers, right? Eh, maybe the 30 to 44-year-olds. Is that Generation X? I'm pretty sure that's Generation X. So 8% of them, or not 8%, sorry. They have a higher ratio, so there it is. It was 6% say that they're okay with U.S. foreign policy, I guess. But, I mean, I was just looking this thing over, and nobody cares about foreign policy as a Democrat. Nobody cares about foreign policy as a Democrat. So is it going to help Tulsi Gabbard on that stage to bring up foreign policy? I don't think so. They want to hear health care. They want to hear jobs in the economy. They want to hear gun policy. But they don't really care too much about terrorism. Race and gender is very low on anyone's priority. The highest is for race and gender. The highest priority that these is like the 18 to 29 year olds. 7% of them are concerned about race and gender. 11% of them are concerned about abortion. But still, healthcare is number one on all their minds. So, in that poll, it just tells me that foreign policy is not a winning issue for the Democrats. It's not a winning issue for the Republicans either. It's not. Um, it might be a little bit more so. I mean, Donald Trump supposedly got a lot of support from, like, libertarians because of the way that he approached foreign policy, getting out of the constant interventionism and all that stuff. Maybe that swayed some people to go vote for him because of that. I think it did, but I just wonder um, if it's going to help Tulsi Gabbard. For me, I really feel strongly about foreign policy. You know that, right? That's one of my biggest issues is foreign policy. So I get, I get, um, I wish that more of these candidates would focus on foreign policy, but all they want to focus on is more handouts for everybody else. Because I think that's what they assume, buy more votes. I don't know. I just don't know. But they look at it differently than you and I might. They do. They look at it much differently than you and I might. So anyway, let me move on to the next topic that I wanted to cover today. And that was this, uh, these explosions that happened in the Persian Gulf area. And all the stuff that was going on with, the, with, with Iran over the weekend and so forth. Um, the Pentagon, supposedly they released this video that shows the... Iranian, some Iranian boat, I guess, pulls up to the tanker and takes something off of it and then, I guess, sails away. And I was looking at that and, and like, they framed it as, oh, this is complete evidence. Look at it. Even Donald Trump referenced this evidence saying that it was true. Clearly, Donald Trump did not look at this video. Clearly, it's a, I don't know, it's a propaganda piece. It has to be. And if they frame it that way, and then you look at it, maybe you'll think, yeah, or maybe people just don't even think to even watch the video. But if you watch the video, to me, it, it looks like a, I don't know, a, a nice boat, right? Two engines on it, smaller, you know, probably a 22-foot, maybe 25-foot boat. Maybe a little bit bigger than that, I don't, I don't know. But anyway, it looks like there's about eight or nine people on it. The boat pulls up next to the... Whatever boat this is, who knows if it's even the the tanker. They claim it is. So 
let's assume it is the tanker. So they pull up next to it. I guess somebody's up in the front, and it looks like he takes something off. But I can't even tell if that's the case, to be honest with you. I can't tell if somebody's taking something off or whatever. All I see is eight or nine people on there. And the idea is that it was an unexploded mine. So if a, the way that mines are set in the water is they're kind of sitting underneath the water. So when a boat goes over, it explodes, right? When I'm looking at it, I see a, people that are touching the side of the boat about maybe seven or eight, maybe nine feet above the water line. So I guess if the tanker was going up and down in the water, maybe it would be there. But like these Iranians, supposedly this is what this is the story that they're saying. The Iranian boat pulls up trying to get rid of the evidence. They pull the mine off and then they cruise away, right? So if the boat had that mine up about eight or nine feet, then it, it would ha- it have had to be lots of waves going through at that time. And then somehow the unexploded device gets is there a magnet on or something that gets stuck on the boat i don't know when i look at it i look at it very skeptically because it's eight or nine feet above the water there's eight or nine maybe ten people sitting on the boat watching this person touching the hole of the boat so in that world that seems like a very dangerous thing to do is walk up like pull up your boat grab a device an unexploded bomb first of all and you're going to put it into your boat and then cruise away. Like to me, and it, it was a pretty quick thing. It was only like a 20 second shot. You're going to go up there very carefully if that was the case. You're not going to have eight or nine people. You might send one or one or two people in to look at it and see why it's not exploded. And then kind of pull it off. It just doesn't make sense. And you guys probably look at it very skeptically like I do. So I would imagine that if you watched the video... You probably saw very similar things to me, but let me know if you think that there's something different going on. I don't know. I mean, I just, to me, it didn't look very credible at all. But that's the proof that they need to go to war or something? To send soldiers over there and fight? No, I I, I don't know. I think that this escalation um, is not on the side of the U.S. right now. Britain has said that they believe the American story. But there cannot be a story after 24 hours. Even after this amount of time, it took, with the Syria thing, with like the the canisters that supposedly had sarin gas in it, and then Trump goes and bombs that city, and bombs some airports or whatever, like, or I guess afterwards, bombs some airports, this was back in April of 2000, I think it was April 2018, so, with that situation, it was like a year later, that they finally released the the information that said there's no proof that it was the Syrian government, but Trump used that within like 24 hours is shooting bombs and shooting missiles over at some airfield over there because he felt like he had to do something because of the people that were pressuring him to do it. Maybe I don't know. So, with this scenario, I could only imagine that it's going to take a while for them to. Make a, make a decision on a determination of what really happened. But within 24 hours, John Bolton and Mike Pompeo and all these people are out there declaring it was Iran and that they did something bad and whatever. My, my, my most likely scenario on this is as follows. The U.S. government is using this as a way to stir up more controversy, right? 
But I think that bad actors in the area most likely are looking at the national, the international politics that's going on right now with Iran and America, right? They know John Bolton and Mom, Mike Pompeo are just seething at the mouth for war. Like, they're just, they just, they want it so bad, it sounds like, right? So, if you're an international bad actor, let's say you're an Al-Qaeda terrorist, and you want America out of the, out of the Middle East, or you want to get a war going between America and Iran, what's your best bet is to do something like that, right? Bog us down more in war. That was Osama bin Laden's plan in the first place. His idea was to get America so bogged down in war against his own enemies, against his sect of Muslims' enemies, that somehow it would end up to bankrupt our country. I mean, that was that's his game plan. And it's just going right along with that, if that's the case. But I don't know. I mean, there's no evidence to prove that either. But I think that if you are a bad actor in the area, you have every incentive to get out there and do something like that, right? You do. Also, another point of news says that they're saying that it was most likely a mine that blew up, that that caused these explosions. Some sort of mine in the water. Or a torpedo in the water, but one of the, I think it was one of the uh, captains of one of the ships was saying, oh, he saw things shooting at the ship through the air. And he said it couldn't have been a torpedo or a mine because it was below, or it was above sea level. So he's saying, like, he, he was contradicting the official story in the first place, and he was the person that was there. His crew were the people that were there. Would they have seen it? It's not, who knows? Maybe they were doing their jobs at the time and they might not have known. I don't, I mean, it's not like they're just sitting there looking over the side of the ship the entire time. So it's hard to tell that as well. But there's not evidence there to prove anything about anything right now. There's no evidence, there's no proof. So the best thing America's going to do is just blame Iran, stir up the controversy, get the political, the narrative going in the direction that they want. That's their plan, and then use it in order to motivate the military-industrial complex and the American citizenry to start thinking fearfully about Iran, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a propaganda campaign, and that's all it is. Now, I read the Iranian newspapers, I read the Syrian newspapers, I read the, you know, newspapers in Asia, I read American newspapers. The more I read all of these different sources of news. We all know that every foreign country, a lot of the news media is propaganda as well. It's not like it's all free press. Just like in America, while we claim that it's free press, there is a lot of propaganda that goes on, especially when it comes to war efforts and so forth. And the reason why is because of just the way that the news media is in America, right? So when you're, watch, when you're reading the news media for America, you see propaganda that is totally tilted towards America and America being the good guy and everything else. But then when you read the newspapers in Syria and Iran, it's the same way. It's propaganda towards their leadership, right? It has to be. So the more I read these things, there is no truth 
among them all, it seems like to me. I'm just reading it to get their sides of the story. I post those things on ionthempire.com. I'll post that stuff because I want you to see what they're saying. But I also want you to see what our media is saying in America as well. The Western media is saying. I think that's very important to do. So um, so I think the, the more that I read these things, the more I realize that there are two sides of the story, but it's only the narrative that the governments are telling the people. And that's it. But who's going to get to the truth? Who's going to get to the truth? There is no truth except for the perception that you're, that you're told, essentially, in this type of world. In the, in the way that things are. Especially something that happened in the Middle East. America's going to frame it one way. Iran's going to frame it another way. It's for you to look between the lines and figure out what the actual facts are and make those decisions. And I don't see any evidence at all right now that I'd be willing to send, if I was the president, if I, was, I wouldn't be willing to send one soldier over there to fight against Iran. Because I just don't see it. I really don't see it. They are trying hard to gather some kind of evidence on this thing. They're trying hard to convince the people through some stupid videotape that they frame as evidence and proof. Not That's not evidence and proof. I don't see it. Most of the people that I've heard say the same thing have not seen it as well. So, anyway, guys, keep on listening. I appreciate you listening today. I do. Go ahead and subscribe to the show if you like what you hear. And every day I'm going to be out here, you know, just letting you guys know what's going on in the news and the things that are going on, you know, foreign and domestic, I guess, but focusing on that 2020 election because as libertarians... We have the right message. We have a message that's going to resonate with people. We do. We have the ability to bring people towards a more libertarian direction, less dependent on government, more critical of the government that we have. And at that point, we can start getting leaders into those positions that will start taking apart the government. And that's what we can do as a people. That's what we can do as a small group. We're a teeny tiny fraction of the population right now. That's it. But we can start spreading this message of liberty. Get out there and tell your friends about this show, other shows that I talk about. Um, Get them doing something as well. You do something. And then come on back tomorrow and you'll have clear vision for 2020. I've been talking a lot recently about people that are doing things for the libertarian movement, things that help to get our message out there. And no message is as important as foreign policy. Foreign Policy Focus is a podcast that I found. The host's name is Kyle, and he puts together a show based on the current events that are going on overseas, things that you should know about, things that are important for us to know about, and also things that hold the federal government accountable. Uh, I think getting the message out there on a regular basis is very important. That's something that Kyle's doing, and I think it's really uh, phenomenal that he's doing this show. And it's also on the libertarianinstitute.org, which is an organization that Scott Horton founded in order to get a libertarian message out there as well. So definitely a good show. If he has Scott Horton's blessings on this thing, it's got to be a good show. You know it is. So go ahead and check it out, guys.